You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 227, Chris Taylor and Sex and Spiritual Growth. Yeah, they're actually connected. there this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary christians about today's christian experience and i am glad that you're here we have a really amazing conversation and uh, i know that you're going to be encouraged by it today uh, if you haven't had a chance go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com that's where you're going to find show notes you're going to find links to everything that we talk about i guarantee there'll be a few from this conversation that you're going to want to check out as well as that little patreon link if you or listen, you're a regular listener to the show and, um, you know, you haven't hit us up on Patreon. It doesn't, even if it's just a little bit, it's helpful to kind of keep it running. There's a lot of costs like hosting and websites and things like that, that people don't know about, uh, with podcasting and it helps us keep going. So I'd love to have your support in that. I would love to know that you're invested. Um, because we certainly are, and so I would love to to do that. Today, our guest, we have a great guest. I'm excited, been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Our guest is a writer and speaker about sexual intimacy in Christian marriage. Our guest is Chris Taylor. Chris, welcome to Halfway There. Hello, thank you for having me today. I'm glad to have you on the show. We've been working on this for a little while, and I'm glad to, to have you here. Yeah, my life through... Life had some you, major changes, and I had to kind of put this off for about a year. So you did, yeah. You had, you had here, I, here we are. You went through some uh, some big changes, so maybe we'll talk about that if you want to. But uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your kind of where God has you right now, and and you know what your ministry is right now. Well, I am sort of the poster child for this the idea that God uses your mess to become a message. <laughs> yeah, and. I don't mean that in a really big way. I have several strands of ministry going on right now, and they're all related to sex in marriage. I have um, I have a blog, The Forgiven Wife, that I've been doing for about seven, eight years, uh, and that is specifically for Christian wives who have struggled with sex in their marriage. Um, I'm part of the Sex Chat for Christian Wives podcast, which has become bigger than we had any expectation yeah. that it would be. We are just about to hit a million downloads. Oh, we're very excited. That's impressive. Um, yeah, we're kind of impressed by that ourselves. You I should be. Say. That's a big deal. So for friends, just for context, right? So just, you need to know this. The average podcast episode has 136 downloads, right? In in like 30 days. So- oh. If, yeah, we're up to a little over six thousand. If you're yeah, if you're so you're getting way more than that. If you're getting six thousand, yeah. you're you're in the top 90, 90th percentile, right? Of all podcasts wow. out there. So uh and then you've been doing it long enough, right? So now you're you're getting close to a million. That is a big deal. Like you're you guys are really doing well. So it's a real privilege to have you here. Well, it's a privilege to be part of that podcast, I got to tell you, we had no idea we would become such good friends and we had no idea that so many people would listen. And we've been told many times that we are binge worthy, which oh, just wow. my kid cracks my kids up. To think, <laughs> <laughs> Mom, nobody wants to listen to you. Well, on the contrary, children. 
<laughs> that's actually not true. I, I've got a million <laughs> reasons to say that's not true. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and uh, I actually had uh, people approach me at a conference once they recognized my voice, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have fans. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what to do. Okay. Is, uh, is that weird for you? Yeah, it's a total. I I totally stumbled over everything and didn't even know how to respond because that had never in my life occurred to me that would actually happen. Wow. So I have my blog. I'm part of that podcast. I uh, One of the things I'm really excited about right now is my online community called Honeycomb and Spice. It is for Christian wives who want a safe place to ask questions about to share their struggles, to get some encouragement. So I have that community. And within that community, I have, um, I do a couple studies every year. So I'll have some special secret groups in there. And then I also have an intimacy mentoring program. So I do some one-on-one work with Christian wives and they're also part of a group. So they get group support as well as individual support from me. And then About a year ago, Jay Parker from Hot, Holy, and Humorous and I started a ministry for Christian husbands to help them understand their wives better. So we have the Knowing Her Sexually podcast that she and I do. We have a blog and we have a community for husbands as well. So I've got lots of different little strands of ministry going on, but they're all about sex. Yeah. Okay. So there's probably a story about how that uh, how that came about because that doesn't well, just happen. So let's uh, no. <laughs> no doubt we'll we'll get there. I'm sure, right? Yeah. So I want to hear kind of just a, I want to start way way back and like I so I don't know anything about your family or where you're from. I know you're in Illinois now, but where where'd you grow up? Well, I actually grew up in Illinois, in northwestern Illinois, met my husband in college. Uh, We stayed in the state for a couple of years. I had a, I was a professor for about 25 years, a writing professor. And we were in southwestern Illinois near St. Louis for a while. And then we lived nearly 20 years in Wisconsin, which is where we raised our kids and where the kids all still live because they're grown now. And then a year and a half ago, we moved to central Illinois, to my husband's hometown, so we could uh, move in with his dad and help him out so he could stay in his own home. Yeah, which that's a real blessing. That's a very kind yeah, move to make, I think. It is way harder than I thought it would be, <laughs> but it's also way more rewarding than I could have expected. Wow. And I will never regret. It's hard. It's hard at times, but I will never regret that we did this. Yeah. I interviewed my grandma this year, but both my grandmothers actually. And uh, my mom's mom, actually, she said her parents never lived alone until they were in their 40s. Like, because because they had parents with them, you know, like that was just kind of how that it was, was back then. Did. Yeah, that was that was the way. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a good thing you're doing. And, it, you know, it's hard because I'm living... My my mother-in-law passed away several years ago, but I'm still living in her home. This is not my yeah, home. Yeah, sure. So it has really challenged some of my ideas about what home is and what things matter. So yeah. there's a lot of growth that God is planting seeds for that I'm resisting at the moment, <laughs> but I know I'll get there <laughs> at some point. And that's that's all part of it, isn't it? Okay, so you grew, oh, growing yeah. up in... Illinois in northwestern Illinois. Um, what was the what was it like spiritually for you? Kind of listless, I guess. I mm. mean, I remember we, when I was a very small child, we went to what I think of as a hippie church. 
church. It was one of those churches where it was very early social justice. And I got to say, social justice is so much in my bones. It really bugs me when people mock social justice warriors because social justice is about caring for other people and making sure that they have what they need to be to live. And so I grew up in a church that uh, started a church cooperative that now has a years later has a homeless shelter, has food, has had a food pantry for years and just making those basic meeting those basic human needs. They did a lot for um, racial justice in terms of housing access when I was a child. And my one significant memory from that church is everybody standing in the sanctuary in a circle around the whole walls of the sanctuary and everybody was holding hands singing Kumbaya. And I'm thinking total hippie moment, (laughs) but that moment, I think I was like three years old, maybe four. And that moment I had this taste of what it means to be connected. And I didn't understand what I was experiencing, but I knew that I wanted that again. And I think that as I look back on that, I'm thinking that was a moment when there was a yearning for God. I didn't know it was for God, but I wanted to experience that again. And so my earliest spiritual development was very much about this connection that we feel with other people and with God at the same time. And then that church folded because it was, everybody was so busy giving to different uh, missions in the, in the area that, People weren't giving enough money to the church to keep it going, which is okay because all of the people there kind of went into other churches and took some of these passions there. And and so what they started for the community is still thriving 50 years later. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So I, I think a lot of times we think, oh, if this thing that we're part of goes away, that it's a bad thing. But you know, I think seeing the good there that, Hey, okay, this collective isn't there anymore, but we're out, we're kind of dispersed into the, the other things. Like this is literally what God did with the church in Jerusalem, right? Is there was persecution and they, they were sent out. And so the gospel spread because of that. Um, but we tend to want to hang on to things. I, so I look back at that now and I was sad at the time when the church folded, but now I can see, how that was part of what God needed to do to get everything out mm-hmm. into the community. But after that folded, we went to, it was a, you know, mainstream denomination church. My dad stopped going and we went to Sunday school. Mm. My mom took my siblings and me to Sunday school. And so I'd say we had a pseudo Christian upbringing. Um, you know, we, we went to church, we, talked about a lot of things, but we never, uh, never talked about being saved or about sin. So a lot of things that evangelical Christians grew up talking about, Right. it's just like this whole other world to me. I didn't grow up thinking about that. Uh, I was taught that Jesus, what Jesus did that was really important was he taught us how to live. Wow. And that didn't mean that he didn't die for our sins, but what really mattered, I was taught, was how he taught us to live and love other people. 
And so sometimes I'll, you know, I, I see these things um, from evangelicals and I, and I understand them intellectually, but it's just so, it's such a completely different experience than yeah. I have that sometimes I have to really jump through some mental hoops to figure out what's going on. Right. Well, I find that really interesting because I did grow up in sort of the evangelical bubble, you know, uh, with a with certain view of atonement and Jesus work. Right. Um, and so I've spent, just as you say that it occurs to me that I've spent a good chunk of my education and sort of adult life trying to learn what Jesus was teaching about how to live in love. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing that because I'm, I realized it was lacking. Right. Whereas right. maybe you're, you know, going the other way. I don't know, but that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, there, there was a piece that was lacking. I, I realize now, but but my one encounter with an evangelical church um, had some kind of devastating consequences for me. One of my good friends uh, took me to Sunday school with her. She went to an evangelical church. And sometimes I'd go to Sunday school with her and be part of the class. And, you know, this whole yearning for connection that I had experienced as a very young child in that church I didn't know what to do with that. And I had all sorts of insecurities as I was growing up. I was the tallest girl. I wasn't the girl that got all the guys' attention. And so I just kind of felt like there was something unlovable and unbeautiful about me. And so when my first boyfriend, my senior year, wanted to have sex, I thought, well, this is probably my only chance ever to have sex and find out what it's about. Wow. Which is really sad um, that I thought that, but I did think that, and that was literally what went through my mind. And so we had sex and I immediately felt that I had just done something wrong. It was wrong for me. It was wrong for our relationship. And somehow I sensed that I shouldn't have done that and that God would be disappointed, but I had this idea that God would still love me anyway. But literally the following week, I went to my friend's Sunday school class, and the teacher was talking about sex. And it was, mm. you know, the sort of a stereotypical purity lecture. And it was, um, the message was very clearly, God wants you to be pure. And if you are not pure, and if you do, and if you do have sex, then you're damaging your relationship with God permanently. And what I took away from that was, I've already screwed up. There is wow. absolutely nothing I can do now. I messed up. And God, therefore, I've broken that relationship with him. And mm -hmm. that followed me for years. That thought that I had I was had damaged my relationship with God that much. Because I was hearing all about God's judgment, but not a bit of God's grace. And I think now about the other kids who were sitting in that class and thinking about how many of them probably had experienced sexual abuse or who mm -hmm. had had sex, you know, consensually themselves and how many other people were damaged from that lesson. And I had heard that lesson one time and it stayed with me for decades. So what followed was I still had this yearning for connection I still had these feelings of being unlovable. 
And I had a very, it was a, just a few years long, but it was a season of promiscuity and sexual stupidity. And I made, you know, I can't even say I made so many mistakes. It was just sort of one sin, one broken thing after another. And each time I felt so convicted that I'd done something wrong, but I didn't know what to do about that. And so I don't know, it was just the searching for something that I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering why you think that was, was that, um, just sort of in reaction to some of the negativity that you received or was it just, just kind of just where you were? I think, I think it was trying to change the narrative Mm. that I, you know, I would have sex and then feel so bad about myself. So then I thought, well, maybe if I have sex again, I can change how I feel afterwards. And I didn't like this narrative of feeling bad about myself so I was constantly making this effort to try it again and see if I could get a different outcome. And I yeah. never did. And instead of thinking, oh, well, clearly that doesn't work. Let's try something different. It was, I just dug in my heels. Well, I have to try harder next time. And yeah, yeah. I was just trying to change the narrative of how I felt. Yeah. Interesting. I think a lot of people get that, right? You kind of ran straight into a little bit of purity culture there, right? And yeah. And that kind of... Yeah, it was. And, you know, I only, purity culture was only like this tangential brief encounter in my life, but, um, but it really did some damage. I think because of the, the timing of when I'd had sex with that boyfriend, Mm. that that was still so fresh in, in my mind. And I was still trying to process what to do about that. I think it was just a message, a bad message that was timed at the worst possible moment for me. I want to, I want to ask, and you can answer this or not answer it, but I'm really curious about your motives there. Cause you said, you know, well, this might be my only chance. This is my, you know, I'm not really that whatever desirable or whatever word you want to put to that. Um, it like, do you, does the, does motive have a lot to do with sort of the feelings or is there like, mm. or would you just say it's just objectively wrong? I mean, I know there's, there's a Christian answer to that, but. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not something I, I spend so much time thinking about my feelings and analyzing my feelings yeah. and my motives that I can't separate things out and say, well, it's related to the motives in this way because everything's connected to me. Right. Right. I was just curious. Uh, I just wondered how that, how that interact. Cause I'm sure that they're connected, right? Well, there's some, there's know, some sort sensed, of. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the time, I, I never thought about it in terms of sin. And I, I think it was a sin, even aside from whether you should be having sex outside of marriage. I think a lot of the sinfulness in me had to do with what was going on in my heart and that I was trying to use, trying to use physical means yeah. to make a spiritual connection because I just wasn't spending enough time in prayer. I wasn't seeking, I wasn't intentionally seeking God. And I wasn't trying to be a better person. I wasn't trying to grow. I was just trying to feel better. And I think aside from what anybody's views are on sex and sin, there was a sinful motive in my heart in terms of, I'm just wanting to feel better. And I don't think that's what God wants our hearts. 
I think. And my heart was not really seeking God. Although when I look back, I realized that actually I was, I was trying to kind of recreate that big kumbaya moment in my church, in my childhood, but I didn't understand that it was God that I was really searching for. Right. Which is interesting too, because I think the world does tell us that sex is one of those moments, right? Of, of connection, deep connection, whatever. And so I could see why you go that direction. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm making noises with my lotion. Oh, that's right. Well, I was going to ask, I was just putting some on too. I was going to ask, um, you know, how that then resolves. So you had a season where you were kind of pursuing that, what happened and then how did you kind of figure, figure that out? Well, I ended up meeting my husband and we had sex way too early in our relationship. Um, but we ended up, you know, we got married and just the fact, you know, I, I felt like this relationship was really different than any other relationship I'd had. And the fact that we were having sex really bothered me because I wanted this to be different in every way. And so all, all of that premarital sex, even with the guy I ended up marrying, became part of the baggage that I dragged into our marriage. So when we married... You know, you got two people with very different upbringings trying to figure out how to live a life together. And I got pregnant three months after our wedding. So, you know, our first year of marriage was also about hormones and uh, a baby. And, oh, my gosh, I'm really not grown up enough for this. Uh, But what happened was that baggage of how I felt about myself, messages I thought about what, what guys thought about sex, Um, I thought it was just sort of this physical release and that that was all guys thought about. Um, Feelings about my worth, all of that, that just became, that was baggage that kind of became like this rolling stone that kept gathering more and more moss as it rolled. And we ended up with, for 19 years of our marriage, it was, um, it's not that we didn't have sex. It's that I became increasingly disconnected. I avoided sex. We didn't have sex very often. And I, I really resented my husband for wanting to have sex with me. And it was just this, that was the thing we fought about the most. Um, I still remember the look in his eyes when he would tell me that he was hurting, that he wanted intimacy and that he didn't know how to deal with this. And I was angry at him for bringing that up and making me feel bad because I'd felt bad through all these other relationships. My husband shouldn't also be making me feel bad. Um, And it just, it was the biggest source of tension in our marriages, in our marriage. It was the biggest source of tension for us each individually. And you know, at one point he was so upset with me that he, he said, well, there's something wrong. And I said, well, fine, but you're the one having a problem. You're the one unhappy about this. So you should go get help. And he said, no, you go to counseling. I'll show up only to help you figure out what's wrong with you. So it was just, you know, obviously we were not really being team players with each other. And one, it was a Sunday morning. I was so mad at God because we had, um, my husband had had a series of job losses. It was the recession. And I just was so upset 
with God for even putting us in this situation. And I refused to go to church. So my husband took the kids to church and I sat down and I thought, well, I'm just going to Google sex and Christian marriage so I can prove to my husband that he's really being unreasonable. And as I Googled, I saw a link to a web, a Christian website about sex and marriage and I, it was the um, themarriagebed.com, and they used to have a discussion board, and I ended up on there, and I ended up reading a thread of comments from husbands about the emotional impact of the lack of sex in their marriage. And I live my life on such an emotional level so often that seeing those emotions spoke to me in a way nothing else had that my I didn't believe my own husband in his words but seeing the volume of these same kinds of comments from other husbands left me sobbing on the floor so convicted that I had hurt my husband deeply and that was the moment that I began to work on things wow and it was you know it was so hard I didn't know how to work on it what what does it even mean to work on sex and when you have nearly 20 years of a habit of avoiding sex or saying no or doing your grocery list in your head while you're having sex, how do you even figure out how to do even one thing differently? And I worked through that all on my own, um, but that was really where my blog, The Forgiven Wife, begins because I know how I had no idea what to do and how to move forward. And so that's what I try in that blog. I try to give different steps and ways of thinking to help women who are in that same situation of realizing that they've made some mistakes with sex and wanting to move forward somehow. Yeah. And okay, that's fascinating. I have so many questions, but I want to ask about during that 20 years. Okay. What was your... You, you know, uh, so you kind of describe the situation where it, you were just mad at God about it. But what was your experience of God during the that season? Like, were, were you growing? Were you learning? Like, what what was that? I think it's mostly stagnant. <laughs> um, uh. We went to church, but we had a lot of fights about church because we, you know, when we got married, I agreed with to, with my husband that I would be part of the denomination he'd grown up in because I wasn't particularly attached to mine. His family had been Methodists for generations. So I said, okay, fine, we'll do that. But we couldn't find a church that really felt like the right fit and where we were connecting with people. And so I did fairly early in our marriage. Um, I was part of a women's Bible study for a year, which was a godsend. And I have to give my husband credit for making me do that. Uh, we had twins. We had a three-year-old, nearly three-year-old, and when I had twins. Oh, wow. And so I had three children under the age of three and a full-time job. And I truly do not remember much from 1995. It was a really <laughs> hard year. But that year, my husband made me go every Monday night to this women's group he took care of the kids, got everything taken care of, put them to fed them, put them to bed so that I could have one evening a week of not being wife or mom. And during that year, I think there was a lot of growth. There were a lot of really important seeds that were planted by the other women in that group. And every so often I would 
kind of spent some time thinking about those things, praying about them. But for so much of our marriage, I really wasn't pursuing God. I was, I just didn't want to go to God because I was afraid that I would look at the Bible, that I would start to pray and that God would convince me that I was actually wrong about all of this about sex. So I just figured, well, if I avoid God, I don't have to face that. (laughs) Yeah, that's classic, right? If I avoid God, well, I'm not you know, wrong. Just be, <laughs> like I'm that. all about transparency. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Hey, you're not the only one. That's like I said, that's no. classic. That's like all of us do that at some level. Well, and it's so, what surprised me so much was my, when I began to work on the issues with sex, I realized that sex had been this huge barrier between me and God, not one that God had placed there, but one that I had. And it, really started back at that moment when I had had sex with that first boyfriend and realized something's not right and I wanted to make it better. And then that purity message, there had been this sex wall between me and God for decades. And when I began to work on the sexual stuff with my husband, I expected that our marriage would get a little bit better. I did not expect the spiritual growth that I would experience. I did not expect that my relationship with God was really the core of what was going on with sex. It just, my, my sexual journey paralleled my spiritual journey in ways that still surprised me. And so anyway, I, I had I worked really hard for a couple of years Things turned around in our marriage, and at that point, I started to think, okay, well, I have had several yearnings, not just for God, but I started looking at all of the passions I'd had in my life. As a young child, I'd wanted to be a writer. Um, I, for years, had been helping women, other women, go through um, struggles of different kinds. I'd been in a twin mom support group. I'd helped women in college with uh, boyfriend issues. And I had all these years of pouring my heart into helping women. I had this yearning to be a writer. And all of a sudden, I could see all these different pieces that seemed disconnected in my life become puzzle pieces that were God was putting together mm. and that he had put into place all those years ago. Wow. And all of a sudden it was sort of, well, okay, I want to write. I want to help other women. I've had these sexual struggles. I'll do a blog. So about, I don't know, a few months after I started my blog, I was, um, I had a couple experiences, spiritual experiences that were just, um, just kind of blew me away. I had always had this yearning for God, but I had not understood much about Jesus. I mean, my family grew up saying, you know, Jesus is a, was a great teacher. Yeah. But that was pretty much the extent of my, I, you know, I never thought about what Jesus did for me. And I pray in kind of an unusual way. I pray in images. I have a very hard time praying words, but I pray images. And I was praying about well, what does that mean? So describe that for us. Cause I don't, you know. Um, okay. Well, I'll just describe a prayer that um, I sometimes pray during sex. And that is I picture God's angels 
around the marriage bed, facing outwards to give us some semblance of privacy, (laughs) standing there holding flaming swords ready to protect our marriage against anything that comes at it. So some people would say, you know, I pray, you know, God, please protect us. Please protect our marriage. Please let our sexual intimacy become a protection for us. And what I do is I just visualize what I mean. So, so it's imaginative. Um, yeah, but it, it just, it's like it puts all these different elements into the yeah, prayer yeah. that I don't think my words would get to. So I was picturing God. I had, was re- going through a study and it said, well, picture, you know, God's on the throne. And what is it that takes you to climb up into his lap? And I remember thinking, I can't even imagine being on God's lap. How does that even work? God was, you know, way up there, and I'm just me with all this baggage. And what I visualized, and this was, I, I, this had to come from God. It was all of a sudden, Jesus was standing next to me, and he said, I'll get it. And he picked me up, and he put me in God's lap. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's what Jesus does. And that just, I still get chills thinking about that. That was such a powerful moment. God was the one, or Jesus was the one that put me into God's lap because I couldn't do it myself. And I just, that just still blows me away. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that he does that and that he shows up and unexpected, right? He just shows up in in your your imagination. I mean, it just, and I was at work. I used to take these prayer walks during work after lunch. And so I was at the, in the parking lot at work. And I thought, I don't even know how to go in and, you know, I was running a study center and I was head managing tutors. And I thought, I don't know how to go talk to my tutors about study skills when I'm sitting here trying to figure out, wow, that's what Jesus does. Yeah. So then the very next day, I was still kind of processing this. And I was thinking about, okay, that's what Jesus does. But what do I do? I still have all this baggage. And that prayer was me wearing flash dance clothes because that was sort of like the flash dance movie and the torn t-shirt and all of that was sort of the movie when I was in my promiscuous phase. So I was wearing my flash dance clothes and there was God standing in front of me. And I knew that the clothes were my baggage. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. And he reached out and he just started to unzip. And all of a sudden, I unzipped my entire flash dance clothes, dropped them on the ground, and there I was, shining light. Wow. And the bag, at that moment, the baggage was gone. It was, I dropped it. And what was truly me and this Holy Spirit within me was shining because the baggage was gone. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. That's so in Colossians, uh, Paul says, you know, put on, like he uses that language, right? Of put, put yeah. on, right? Of clothing, you know, take off the old nature, put on the new nature. I mean, you, you like literally had a vision of you doing that. Yeah. And it just still, that just still blows me away because those, and those were, you know, literally t- within 24 hours, I had the yeah. Jesus putting me on God's lap and my baggage being discarded and my true self shining through. And those were such powerful images. And every time now I struggle with 
faith because, you know, I'm human and I still mess up a lot. And I still, you know, we still have hard things and I still sometimes wonder, well, is this, is this all real? What's going on? Yeah. But I, I have those moments and they, they ground me so much. Yeah. They kind of, it sounds like they serve as kind of anchors for your, for your trust in God. Very much. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. I love that. It does. So it sounds like you prayed that way for a long time. Is that, do you think, like, do you actively seek those kinds of experiences or those kinds of prayers? Or is that just something that God gave you in those two moments that? Um, no, that's how, that's how I actively pray. I, st- mm. I mean, yeah, ask my friends, it's like, when it's time to pray, I can't pray with words. I, I cannot wow. pray, in, you know, with other people because there's all this imagery in my head that I, it's like putting it into words to speak out loud is this extra step. Yeah. I pray in images because that somehow captures the fullness of what I'm really trying to say to God. Oh, that's interesting. So the fact that I pray that way, make, it makes sense that that is how God spoke to me in a way. You know, I think um, we have a God that is so amazing and will reach out to us in the way that's going to speak to us the most. Oh. And for me, giving me these images just fit perfectly because that's how I was already praying. Yeah. So I had this prayer and he just stepped in. I just think that's so beautiful. Friends, I just want to, I want to point that out because I don't know where you are and I don't know if you have something like this, but you know, I grew up with these ideas that, you know, I, sometimes I say we were told two things, read your Bible and pray, but nobody ever taught us how to do either one of those. And prayer was very intercessory, which is fine. It's, it's really wonderful. Uh, needs to happen, but it also is sort of conditioning in a way that this is the way that, you know, we do these things. And so when you come to your own personal prayer, it's harder. But if you're, if you're like Chris and you pray in images, I've, I've like, you've had some similar or some experiences where Jesus just showed up and I was like, what are you doing here? Okay. And, and that, that sort of imagination, just stepping into, to where God is and let him show me some healing. Like that might be okay, guys. So if you, you know, or maybe there's something else, maybe it's some someplace else, maybe it's nature, I don't know. But whatever it is, it's okay for you to go and experience God in those ways. Um, and just know that. So I'm, I'm hoping that if that's you and you need some permission to do that, consider, consider it given. You've got it. And God wants to meet you. Um, and I didn't grow up knowing that that wasn't a way... Yeah. to talk to God. So, you, you know, just I didn't have did to it. unlearn any, anything. That's cool. Okay. So that sounds like that was a, that was a life-changing moment for you. You started blogging your blog. Yeah. You must be doing well. You're still doing it. And this has been a few, a few years. Yeah. Now. I mean, this past year has been a, a struggle. We, you know, we made the move to live with my father-in-law. So I'm even struggling to find space to write and to podcast. And we had some issues with one of our sons, um, some legal stuff that kind of threw a wrench into life. And we had, my daughter got married this year. So even aside from the fact that it's 2020 and there's a lot of stuff going on anyway, we've had a lot going on in our family. So the blog, I have not blogged as much as I was for a while, um, but it's still, my heart is still there and I'm still drafting ideas out. Uh, But yeah, that was, that was really my response to God 
putting all of these different passions for helping, for writing. Once I realized that God had put all those desires in me all along, mm. I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. See, I love that. I call that finding yourself in Christ, right? When you, when you kind of realize, oh, this is all these things that I've been trying to do. This is God bringing them all up for a reason, right? Right. And, you know, I, I, I spent so much of my life feeling unfulfilled, yearning for something I didn't know what it was, wanting to write. And all of those things came together when I began to write about sex. Wow. And so, you know, when I say, when I said earlier that this was, you know, God making my mess into a message that truly has happened for me. Um, and I, and I made a promise to God that I would be transparent, that I would never try to misrepresent the truth to make myself look better. I have sometimes altered the facts a little bit to protect my family, mm -hmm. but never to protect myself. So all of my selfishness and, you know, weird thinking about sex over the years, it's in there. <laughs> It's yeah. on that blog, you know, and I even have a, a very transparent post about female sexual dysfunction and being with the doctor and you're going to love this peeing on her hand <laughs> oh. when she made me laugh. Yeah. So, and if anybody out there is listening, who is a uh, middle-aged woman, you get it. But um, yeah, I, I just put it all out there. Yeah. 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 Well, and but so that's part of what makes your ministry so powerful, right? Is you're willing to to go to those places that the, right. the reality is we all we all experience in one way or another. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, and so because because that's part of the human experience. But this the transparency, and here's I, I what I think is great about it, and there's so many things, but is the internet and kind of this age that we that we're in really values that transparency, right? Really values because because. Right. You know, I don't know when you were growing up or when I was growing up, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, I think, but the, yeah. um, but that like, we didn't have those things. And so if you wanted to find out about what's really normal, like I remember some of the books that I read before we got married, they were not helpful, right? Like they, they no. ended up not well, being good. And you know, I have always been such an emotional person and so aware and analytical of my emotions. And that's another piece that God has put to use in this blog. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've received an email from a woman who says, it's like you're in my head. Yeah. I didn't know anybody else felt like that. And I remember that when I began to work on sex that I felt like nobody else got it. And so that's, that's one of the reasons I, I developed developed my uh, honeycomb and spice communities because I wanted to make sure women had a place not you know, my blog, they can read about my thoughts, but I wanted to be sure that there was a place they could hear from more voices than just mine that, you know, if they're having a question or a struggle, there's, there's, there are other women going through that too. And I, I don't yeah. want any woman to have to feel that she's sexually alone in those struggles. Oh, I love that. So what did you do to actually work on it on sex? So like where, what kind of things did you do and what kind of things do you encourage women to? Uh, it's, it's different for everybody. You know, I, I encourage a lot of baby steps because I figure, you know, you can do one small thing and I'll encourage women to take, you know, whatever step you take, 
take a few weeks to just get used to it and then take a few more weeks to get confident in it before you even think about your next step. So for me, the two biggest complaints that my husband had had, uh, one was the lack of frequency and the other was the fact that when we were having sex, I wasn't mentally showing up. You know, I was the wife who was doing the grocery list in her head and rolling her eyes and saying, let's just get this over with. Which is really weird because I was interested in sex from a very young age. So, you know, it there was like this cognitive dissonance. I didn't even understand myself why I was so disinterested in sex when I had been interested for years yeah. earlier. But uh, what I decided to do was to work on just one thing. And the first thing I worked on was being mentally present. I thought, okay, if I'm, if my body's busy having sex, I can at least have my mind be there for the same thing. And so I worked on that. And it was a matter of constantly reminding myself that I can think about my grocery list later. I can, you know, the dishes will still be waiting for me when I'm done. Right now I'm here with my husband and it's okay that we're having sex. I would just have this mental script going through mm. my head. I uh, I was so distra- easily distracted by what was going on in my mind that I decided that, okay, I can focus on physical things. Like, what does it even feel like to have, you know, my hands on his arms? What am I physically experiencing right now? What is the lighting like? What is the temperature? I forced myself to pay attention to my body being there as a way of helping my mind stay focused. Because I figured that had been his biggest complaint was my lack of actually being fully present. So if I could work on that one thing, that would have a bigger impact than other things. So even if we still weren't having sex very often, at least when we were having it, it was a better experience. Yeah. Um, Then when I decided I needed, you know, I, I realized I had this automatic no. If he would say, you want to have sex? My answer was always no. Part of that I realize now is because that's sort of a normal female sexual response of not really being interested in sex until we're actually experiencing some sexual arousal. Desire, for women, desire comes after arousal typically, whereas for men, it's more arousal in that, hey, right. <laughs> I want to have sex and bang, here I am ready. So, you know, when he would say, do you want to have sex? And I would say no. It was partly because that's just a normal female sexual response. But I also realized that I was doing it automatically without even allowing myself to think about whether I did want to have sex. So the next thing I worked on was my response to him. And I practiced. I practiced how to respond to, do you want to have sex, by uh, working on taking a breath and pausing before I answered anything else. So even if he would say, you know, pass the ketchup at the table, instead of just grabbing it and passing it along, I made myself pause and think and smile and then pass him the ketchup. So practicing in these low stress situations made it easier than when I decided, okay, now I'm ready to try this with sex too. So yes, I practiced saying yes to sex. Yeah. Well, but yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. And and then, you know, one of the other things I had to work on was all of the negative messages and scripts I had about sex, about what my husband thought about sex, about um, whether he was just, you know, a pervert because he wanted to have sex or, you know, which unfortunately was one of those things that many women do think. Um, So I had to 
teach myself truth. So instead of just thinking, okay, I need to stop thinking that he's wrong for wanting to have sex with me. I had to replace that with something positive. And so I would write scriptures. I wrote, had a lot of sticky notes from the Song of Songs that I would, you know, I didn't memorize them, but I had them all over my desk. So whenever I would think something negative about sex, I would look at one of them and I would actually say it out loud, mm. thinking, well, if I see it and hear it and say it, maybe it'll it'll sink in. So yeah. You know, everything I had to work on, I approached a little differently. Yeah, that's a that's a good strategy. How glad are you that Song of Songs is in the Bible? Way more glad now than I used to be, I can tell you that. <laughs> right. And you know, it's so funny because some people will say, no, it's just symbolic. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put on my prof- English professor hat for a minute and just remind people that symbolism doesn't work if it isn't also literally true. Wow. The only reason... Song of Songs teaches us anything about the relationship between Christ and the church is because we understand it on a physical sexual level as well. The, the literal understanding of that is what makes the symbolism possible. So I remember the first time I was in high school and, you know, during sermons, I would get really bored, but I'd start to read the Bible and think, well, okay, I'm not listening to the sermon, but you know, it, nobody's going to get mad at me for reading the Bible, right? <laughs> and so I would look at that and I'd think, does anybody in here, has anybody ever actually looked at this? Have Do they know the- what this says? Yeah. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. I know, but that's that's good. I think it's just another example of God's goodness to us, right? To, to put that in there to give us a good picture yeah, of what. Yeah, and it's, um, there's so much in there. You know, there are some verses that I think pretty strongly speak to oral sex, to, um, adventure to just enjoying the physical experience. There's so much in there. And I know a lot of wives who will say, I tried to read it thinking about sex and I just, I couldn't even get past the first few verses. It just upset me so much. Wow. thinking, okay, well, when you're upset, that's an invitation to grow. So. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Oh wow. Okay. So it sounds like you've been on quite the journey. So you've, you've, you've kind of been through all that and you've, Turned your mess. What did you? How did you say it? Turned your mess into your. Turn your mess into a message. Into a message. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which is amazing. What, um, you know, I, I want to definitely point out all of the places people can find you. So we've got links to all these things that you mentioned in the show notes. Forgivenwife.com is your website, mm-hmm. um, as well as Honeycomb and Spice. Honeycomb Spice. Honeycombspice.com is my online community. Great. And then you can always go to, um, you know, look up Sex Chat for Christian Wives. Guys, you're probably in the podcast app already. Just go over, flip over, and search that up. You'll find that as well. And then we also have our ministry for men. Oh, yeah. Knowing Her Sexually. And it's a podcast you look for Knowing Her Sexually. But online, we are at khsministry.com. It's just so funny to think, you know, after all those years of resisting and avoiding sex, that now I'm the one who's doing a sex blog and a sex podcast. And, you know, here I am. Yeah, well, God's using the using the thing. I, I think that is that is truly amazing. And I'm I'm grateful for it. Thanks, uh, Chris, for being here. I appreciate your story. Thanks for being so vulnerable. I think uh, God is doing some great things with your ministry. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you.